Amen, amen. Well, Sterling College, I am so, so excited to be here this morning. Thank you for having me, and thank you for making a dream come true. Uh, I am a theater kid, so to be on stage in Fences uh, is just a lifelong dream. I never thought I'd be in this show. Thank you. Uh, and so if you are in the cast, I would love to meet you. This is a bold choice. Friends, if you don't know the story of Fences, and take it from a stranger, you owe it to yourself to come this weekend. I heard there's stuff Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I joked with Paul, I wish I would have been sticking around for this dress rehearsal on Thursday. Uh, but this is a tremendous show that your school is putting on, and I cannot encourage you enough to attend. But I am excited to be here today with you. We've got a full day together. I'm excited for chapel here now, and really excited for our conversation in Cornerstone later this evening. I would love to see you there too as we talk about some very important topics. Uh, dialogue I know you've been having on campus around sexuality with a specific focus, as Paul said, on LGBTQ rea realities. Um, and I know this is the first time that many of us are meeting, and man, would I love to sit down with each and every one of you and hear a bit about your story and what makes you tick. Uh, but we have 25 minutes together, so there's not time for that. So instead, can I just tell you a bit about myself before we begin? Um, is that all right? All right, I will. Um, I'm going to answer the question that I know is on everyone's minds. Uh, I am six foot one and 160 pounds. So if you think you could take me, uh, game on. I uh, was an adopted only child, no siblings. All the attention came my way. I drive an 18-year-old car. So if any of you were born in 2002, it could be close, right? I don't know, freshman. You are the same age as my Honda CRV. Uh, congratulations. I am really into reality TV. I'm currently a big fan of Survivor. Any Survivor fans here? Uh, it is tonight, y'all, but we're gonna be in Cornerstone. I'll watch it later on DVR. Love, love, love Survivor. Uh, it'd be a blast to be maybe a cast member one day on that. We'll see if I audition. Uh, in my adult life, I've worked as a children's librarian. I've been a substitute teacher. I've been an event planner, and I was a conference producer. And I recently moved from Kansas City to Cincinnati to plant a new church right in downtown Cincinnati. So there's a great neighborhood there, Over the Rhine. There's a real depressing sounding band also named Over the Rhine that came out of that neighborhood. We are going to be launching a church there this September, and I could not be more thrilled about what God is doing in our team already um, and as he builds that church in Cincinnati. Our first Sunday, like I said, is coming up in just a few months. I graduated uh, from a large suburban high school. I was at college at Indiana University. University, uh, which still holds a soft spot in my heart. And I should say that my time at IU was remarkably transformative for me. Uh, in fact, I think it's why I still love visiting college campuses, because very important decisions are made at places just like this. Uh, habits are formed. And so many decisions are made, and so much identity is discovered and cemented in such a way that it makes me convinced that this time really matters. I mean, it mattered a lot in my own life. You see, when I went to college, I wasn't interested at all in faith or spirituality. I didn't intend to become a serious Jesus follower. I was one of those people that thought I was too smart for faith. Uh, my parents had raised me kind of with their faith and their convictions, but my ticket to school was a ticket to leave that behind and to live however I wanted with whoever I wanted and do whatever I desired. So I never thought that college would become a time of profound spiritual growth for me, uh, that I'd get involved in a Bible study, that I'd start making big decisions to live in 
to live in ways that made me more and more and more like Jesus. I never imagined that that would be my story. But that is how things unfolded, and not just for me, but for many of my closest friends as well. So I want you to imagine this, like a group of friends freshly excited about Jesus, all having recently made big commitments to follow him, and there's passion, and there's big decisions, and we're praying together, and we're up late at night, and we're imagining what our lives could be, and there's all kinds of bold dreams and faith things that are coming out of this new community. Um, And it was an incredibly remarkable time in my life, but the thing is, all that transformation and all those late nights dreaming and praying, and all those commitments we made to follow Jesus no matter the cost, that all happened nearly a decade ago. I know I look so young, but I promise it was that. It happened nearly a decade ago, and in that time since, um, there's been some friends that have remained incredibly committed to Jesus and that are as passionate now as they were 10 years ago. There are other friends uh, who have changed their minds, who have changed their convictions, And every time I run into them, it's still a blast to see them, and we have so much to reminisce about, and we talk about the great days in Bloomington at a place called Crescent Donut. I mean, that was our, it seems like Clive is the big hangout here, right? So the Crescent D was where we lived, right? So we reminisce, we get together there, but still, there's a difference. And some of us have remained committed to Jesus, and others of us have changed our minds, and they're no longer following Jesus. And I've got to be honest with you, friends, when we have those reunions, and they're always sweet reunions, but when I leave, and as I'm driving home, And as I've talked with a friend who's made some different decisions than me over the past 10 years, I often find myself wondering, have I made the right choice? Uh, Have I made the right commitments? Is it like a good thing that I'm still doing this Jesus-following thing that can feel really costly or heavy at times? Have I made the right choice? Uh, Or am I selling myself short by taking up my cross? And I think about that from time to time, And I wonder if you sometimes think about that as well. Uh, Perhaps you're one who's been following Jesus for a while, but the kind of life that Jesus holds out as good or ideal, sometimes it means like, man, this feels way too costly or too difficult or wildly unrealistic. And so you wonder too, uh, have I made the right choice? Or maybe you're one of those people who've never been interested in following Jesus because you've thought about it and you say, man, that sounds way too tough, too costly, uh, too over the top. It's going to suck so much life out of me. I don't even think it's worth it. Well, this morning and the time we have together, I'd like to invite all of us to pause and to give our focused attention to considering if following Jesus is really worth it. Um, is following Jesus worth it. And to guide our thinking around that topic, I'd love for us to begin by asking one question, what does Jesus really want? What does Jesus really want? And I think this is a question that's worth asking because I'm convinced it's a question that answers, uh, helps us decide in our own hearts if Jesus is truly worth following. I mean, to put it simply, what we believe Jesus wants determines our willingness to follow him. I mean, what we believe he really wants for us, that's going to shape, that's going to determine our willingness to follow him. So let's explore the question, what does Jesus really want? And for us to understand what Jesus wants, we're going to listen to words that he spoke, words that were documented for us by his best friend, words that we have in the Gospel of John. So would you join me in the book of John, John chapter 10, 
uh, if you've got a paper Bible or John 10 on your phone, and as you are making your way there, would you allow me to give some context to the interaction that we're going to engage this morning as we read John 10? So here's what's happened leading up to John 10. In John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man who's been blind for his entire life. Uh, He was born that way, but now that man can see. His life has changed completely. And so that man's friends, they take him to the religious leaders and they tell them that a remarkable miracle has taken place. Uh, But instead of celebrating eyes that can now see, the religious leaders are really frustrated. They're mad because Jesus has healed this man on the Sabbath day. And on the Sabbath day, no one was supposed to do any work. And so Jesus has done the work of healing this man, and the religious leaders are frustrated that Jesus has done this work, and so a little bit of a dispute breaks out. And these religious leaders are questioning Jesus, and Jesus finds himself in sort of this public tug of war with the religious leaders. They're questioning him, and I imagine that this blind man is standing there, and there's probably a crowd that's forming, because the Gospels tell us that everywhere Jesus went, little crowds would form and follow, because he was remarkably dynamic and fascinating. And so Jesus takes this opportunity of this growing dispute, he seizes the opportunity and uses it as a moment to distinguish himself from other religious leaders that are, you know, operating present day, these religious leaders that are attacking him, and from every religious leader who has come before him. Jesus says, I'm going to use this opportunity to make clear what makes me unique. And so he says in John chapter 10, beginning in verse 8, he says, all who have come before me And by this, he means all those spiritual leaders that have come before me, right? There's been centuries of spiritual leaders who have existed before Jesus. He says, all who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. So let me break this down a bit. Jesus says, look, there have been many spiritual leaders who have come before me. And they've said, we know the truth about this world. We know how life was designed to be lived. We know how you might find joy and happiness. So trust us. Follow us. We'll lead you to good life. Jesus says, there's been many spiritual leaders that have become, come before me. And they've made these promises, but they have been thieves and robbers. They have ultimately stole from those they led. They've taken their time. They've taken their money. They've taken their joy, and those people have gotten nothing in return. They seemed trustworthy at first, but their promises turned out to be empty. Jesus said, all who have come before me, they've been thieves and robbers, but I am not like them. Whoever seeks to find life by living my way, who enters, whoever enters my kingdom by walking through my gate, right, and becoming like a sheep that comes into this green pasture, he said, whoever follows me, they will find freedom, they will find life, how it was designed to be lived. I mean, like happy little sheep, they're going to enjoy the green pastures of my good design. And then Jesus makes this point crystal clear in verse 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Right? All who come before me, they've been thieves and robbers, and thieves come only to kill and steal and destroy, but I have come that they, that everyone who follows me, might have life and have it to the full. Now, friends, I don't know what you know about world religions. I don't know what you know about a lot of belief systems, but this claim sets Jesus apart. 
this claim is absolutely incredible. And this claim, I would argue, it challenges so many of our assumptions about Jesus. I mean, let's think about our opening question again. What does Jesus really want? What does Jesus really want? I mean, be honest. What's the first thing that came to your mind the first time you heard that question? I mean, if I'm entirely transparent, my gut answer most frequently to that question is, well, I imagine that Jesus really wants, like, I don't know, obedience. Or Jesus really wants my conformity. Or Jesus really desires, like, my sacrifice or my respect. See, I don't know about you, but in my journey of faith, I've often viewed Jesus as a taskmaster who expects perfection, um, as a boss who's only satisfied with excellent work, as a teacher who's like firm but fair. You know, like a tough teacher, you're going to learn a lot, but he's going to be really firm and he was like demanding. I see him as a coach, he'll be disappointed if I, you know, forget something that we talk about in practice and wind up fumbling later. I've assumed that Jesus wants my best effort. I believe that he wants my determined discipline. Uh, I've lived as if he wants me to be his star student, his top-notch performer, his, his perfect athlete. And so when I've thought I'm making progress toward that goal, I've assumed that I'm giving Jesus what he wants, that he's really happy with me. And when I've failed towards that goal, I've assumed that I'm not giving Jesus what he wants, that he's very disappointed in me. And I don't know about you. I mean, have you ever felt the same way? Have you seen Jesus as maybe a manager to be satisfied or appeased or a supervisor who just expects more of you, wants more and more and more? Or maybe, again, you've just kept your distance because it seems like Jesus is someone you could never satisfy. Who could ever live up to what this guy wants? It seems too, too, too impossible. What I think is remarkable and what is the good news of John 10.10 is that Jesus doesn't want something from you. Rather, he wants something for you. And this is the remarkable assertion that Jesus makes in John 10.10. He says, I'm not interested in taking anything from you. The thieves have come to steal and destroy. I'm not interested in taking anything from you. I'm interested in offering something to you. Jesus came to earth so that we, so that you and I could have life and have it to the full. I mean, that's what he wants. He wants something for us, not something from us. What does Jesus really want? He wants us to experience abundant life. Life as it was designed to be lived. And to me, that is incredible. I mean, think about even our narrative this morning, and again, the distinction. The religious leaders would have preferred that a blind man stay blind so that their Sabbath rules weren't violated. But instead, Jesus heals a man and invites him into life like he's never known it to demonstrate that he's come to give life and life to the full. Friends, that makes me love Jesus. I love him. He loves me and he loves you and he wants us to experience abundant life. Abundant life, life to the full. But what exactly does abundant life look like? What is this life that Jesus offers? What is this life that Jesus invites us into? I'd love to say that so many people have tried to answer that question, and sometimes I feel like they've made it more complicated than it needs to be. Uh, here's my simple definition for abundant life. What is abundant life? I think it's simple. Uh, abundant life is the life that Jesus lived. 
Abundant life is the life that Jesus modeled. Abundant life is experiencing life as God designed it and experienced it himself when he became human. Abundant life, it's life free from regret. It's life free from fear. It's life free from hiding. It's life filled with significance and meaning and character and adventure. It's life that's defined by love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness. It's the life that Jesus lived on earth. I mean, think about it. Jesus, who is 100% God, became 100% human. So the one who designed life lived a human life. And when he did, he lived life perfectly, which doesn't just mean that he didn't, you know, ever lie about something to his mom or steal from his brothers, but instead it means that he, he lived life fully and completely, and he showed us what abundant life looks like in the flesh. And it is a beautiful thing, isn't it, when you think about Jesus and what he did and how he lived. I mean, maybe another way to think about it is, um, I want to ask this question, can you think of anyone who's lived a better life than Jesus? Can you think of anyone who's lived a better life than Jesus? I mean, any nominations? Anyone who's lived a better life than Jesus? Maybe Beyonce? Uh, I don't know, LeBron? I mean, in one sense, yeah, I mean, they've had great lives, wonderful lives, but their lives have probably been more celebrity lives or really comfortable lives. I mean, I'd love to live a day as Beyonce, but I hate to break it to you if there's big fancy or 2,000 years from now, I'm not sure we're still going to be talking about her. And I'm not sure what kind of enduring impact she's going to have on the planet. I'm not sure what kind of ultimate freedom or liberation she's going to offer to the world, right? And that's not picking on her. It's just, again, returning to our question, can you think of anyone who's lived a better life than Jesus? Uh, any other nominations? I don't know. What about uh, Elon Musk? Any Tesla fans here? Uh, or Steve Jobs? Um, again, great, great lives, really dynamic inventors, people whose innovations have changed the world as we know it, and yet, uh, won't future inventors come? And the, the revelations that have come from Tesla and that come from Apple, I mean, ultimately, as cool as they seem now, those will be rendered obsolete. You know, again, they've had great lives, they've made remarkable contributions, but pale in comparison to Jesus. Can you think of anyone who's lived a better life than Jesus? I mean, can you think of anyone who's had fewer regrets than Jesus? Jesus had none. Can you think of anyone who's more inclusive than Jesus? I mean, I can't read the Gospels. Can you think of anyone with deeper relationships than Jesus? Can you think of anyone who lived life more in touch spiritually with God than Jesus? Again, I cannot. I mean, Jesus came to earth and showed us what abundant life looks like. He showed us what it looks like to live life to the full, and then he invited you and he invited me to live that kind of life to follow him, to embrace the rhythms and habits and values and priorities that he embraced, to live like he would if he were you, with graciousness and integrity, uh, full of truth and full of compassion. You see, Jesus didn't come to earth merely to die. Although, of course, his death and resurrection are central. They change everything. It's the main event of the gospel story, but it is not the whole story. Jesus' purposes in coming to earth were even larger. He came to earth not only to die, but also to show us how to live. And he invites you, and he invites me to follow him. I mean, follow me. This is the central invitation of the Gospels. Follow me, follow me, follow me. Do what I would do if I were you. Live how I would live if I were 20 years old, attending college in the middle of Kansas. And friends, I, I came here this morning really just to tell you one thing. 
just one simple thing. I flew 784 miles, uh, and I rode for like an hour with Paul in a car, which was basically listening to Paul's monologue, which I love about Paul, right? So we drove this whole way here, and I'd do it again. But I came the whole way here to tell you this morning, and I mean this, and this truth has sunk deep in my heart, that you will never live to regret any decision that you make to become more like Jesus. You will never, you will never live to regret any decision you make to become more like Jesus. You'll never live to regret any forgiveness you extend, though it may be very difficult. You'll never live to regret any habit you might embrace. You'll never live to regret any bad behavior you know, rhythm that you've laid down. You'll never regret any relationship you reorient. You will never live to regret any decision that you make to become more like Jesus. Uh, you just won't. You won't. Now, to be very clear, you may dislike those decisions at first, uh, you may say these decisions feel more like I'm dying than like I'm embracing life to the full. This feels too costly or too challenging. This feels impossible for me to sustain over a lifetime. I mean, it may not feel comfortable to make these decisions, but trust me and trust Jesus. You will never live to regret any decision you make to become more like him. You just won't. I mean, I know I haven't. And I've made some pretty big decisions when it relates to following him, uh, decisions that have affected my finances. You know, I have less money than I would have had, uh, decisions that have affected my relationships, decisions that have affected my freedom, uh, decisions that have inconvenienced me time and time again. And I'll be clear, I haven't made these decisions easily, and I haven't always made these decisions consistently, nor have I lived like Jesus perfectly. But I'm telling you, I do not regret any decision that I've made from following him. But from time to time, I have wondered, am I doing the right thing? Am I on the right path? Am I, going, uh, am I throwing my life away by picking up my cross and following Jesus? And I do find that those questions can burn most intensely in my heart and mind after I run into some of those friends who have started going down a different path and I see people that have a little more money than I have because of either jobs they've taken or the fact that they don't give as much away as maybe I do because I feel compelled to give money away because of what Jesus has said. And so I wonder, gosh, am I just throwing my life away? Or I see friends that are having more sex than I'm having because their uh, convictions don't tell them that it's wrong to have sex outside of marriage. And I've made a commitment to be single and celibate. And it's like, what am I doing? I'm 30 and beautiful. You know, why is this happening to me? And thank you for your support in that. I very, really am. But it's like, what am I doing? Am I throwing my life away by following Jesus? I see friends whose weekends are entirely oriented around their own pleasure. You know, I'm going from brunch to shopping to my manicure to my pedicure. And it's thinking, dang it, like, why did I agree to volunteer at this place this weekend? You know, is this, something, is this stupid? Is this worthwhile? I could be having so much more fun. I could be having so much more relaxation. Am I throwing my life away by following Jesus? And again, in those moments when those doubts come up, I have to remind myself, it's like, what's going to keep me in this? What's going to keep me in this? And it's only when I remember what Jesus really wants that I find fresh motivation to follow him again. It's only when I remember that at the end of the day, Jesus doesn't want something from me. He wants something for me. That he's extended an invitation to abundant life to me. 
and that following him over a lifetime is never going to lead to any regret, though it might sound painful now, that it's ultimately going to lead me to life and life to the full. So in the time that we have left this morning, friends, there's just a real simple thing I want to do. I'm going to pray for us in a few minutes, and here's what I'm going to pray for. I'm going to pray for two things. I'm going to pray that Jesus would speak to all of us, because I do think that God still speaks. And I'm going to pray that he would tell all of us in our own hearts one way, one decision we might make, one action we might take, one thing we might do this week to become more like him. I'm going to pray and say, Jesus, you know, everyone in this room, you know, our lives are all different. You know, our stories are all different. Would you show everyone in this room one decision we can make, one action that they can take to become more like you this week, Jesus? That's what I'm going to pray in a few minutes. There's your teaser. You know what's coming. And then I'm also going to ask him for the courage for each of us to make that decision because it can be a scary and a costly thing to follow him. But friends, if you hear one thing from me this morning, hear this again, you will never live to regret any decision that you make to follow Jesus. He has invited you into abundant life. He has shown you what it looks like, and it's documented for you in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And 50 and 60 years from now, when your life is coming to a close, there will be no regret around a life that's been oriented towards looking more and more like Jesus, even though it might feel so painful and so overwhelming right now. So I'm going to pray that Jesus will show you one way you can become more like him this week and that he'd give you the courage to do it. So will you join me in that prayer? Lord, uh, I love college. I love it because of the decisions that are, in, that are made in places like this. I love it because you do incredible work in the lives of young adults. You set people on trajectories. You form habits here. You help significant decisions be made that change entire futures. And so, Lord, this morning, we've seen in your word that following you is worth it that you're the only one who offers abundant life, that you have good desires for us to experience life to the full. And we've heard you say that we won't regret following you even though it feels difficult and overwhelming from time to time. And so, Lord, I want to ask you for two things this morning. I pray for everyone in here that you would speak to them even now in the quietness of the moment and bring to mind one way one decision they can make, one action they can take to become more like you this week. Lord, maybe it's someone to forgive. Maybe it's a habit they need to confess and come into the light with. Maybe it's a truth they need to tell that they haven't told anyone. Maybe it's some anger that needs to be dealt with. Lord, I don't know what it is, but you do. You know all of us so intimately. Would you bring to mind for everyone in this room one way that they might become more like you this week, one action they can take, one decision they could make to be more like you? And then, God, even now, would you plant a seed of courage in everyone's heart? Would you give us all the courage to take that step, though it might feel costly, though it might feel overwhelming, though it might feel impossible to sustain, God? Would you give us all the courage to become more like you. We know it might hurt at first or feel like it's stealing life from us, but we won't live to regret it, God. So give us that courage even now. Becoming like you is worth it. Following you is worth it. Being your disciple, placing faith in you and modeling our lives around you is worth it, Lord. Would you cement that truth in our hearts this morning? It's in your powerful name we've prayed together today. Amen.